Before we get started, I want listeners to know that in this episode we talk about drug and substance abuse, so if that's something you don't want to deal with right now, please feel free to come back to this episode later, because taking care of yourself is a lot more important than this little podcast. And if you need help yourself, don't be afraid to ask. There's absolutely nothing wrong with needing some help. There is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. It is free, 24-7, every day of the year, in English and Spanish. But mostly, this is just a fun episode, so let's get into it. The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen We are starting with crowns, right? Even though yeah. it says all or none at the top of the recording. That's not going to fuck you up? Okay. I literally no, no, was just... just about to email you. I'm like, um, so I only got a link for all or none. Do I need one for crowns? No, I'll do it on the same one. Yeah, well, maybe I'll, like, I think I can hit stop, and then it starts like a new recording or whatever. And we can take a break and, I don't know, go to the bathroom or eat a yeah, little was, something, whatever. I was going to say, I'm very hydrated, so I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping we'll make it through. Or I might be like, one second, please. <laughs> <laughs> I know, there's like all these like podcasts and stuff I'll listen to, and it's like, uh, you hear people like, okay, let's take a break. And then like, they don't do anything. It's just like, okay, we're back from the break. It's kind of like, okay, I guess that's if you want to put commercials in or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, I had to go to the bathroom. It's like, oh yeah, that's kind of weird. It's like, oh yeah, Pearl Pearl Jam's up there the whole time on stage. They're not stopping to go to the bathroom. Like, I never stop to go to the bathroom at shows either, but I also like plan accordingly and I don't, I don't really drink at shows anyways, but like I make sure that I do not drink water leading up to the show or at least not very much of it. Yeah. And then, uh. What is it like? I know that um, like Guns and Roses and stuff like that. Like the the thing was is like, oh yeah, you see Axel. Like Axel will be out, and you know this is back in the day when you know they were <laughs> touring and stuff, and they were you know big and everything. Mm-hmm. So Axel would come out and he'd be singing and stuff like that, and then you see him like run behind stage. He like he'd run off while everybody was like kind of like, playing solos and stuff like that. It's kind of like yeah, it's kind of like huh, okay, and just come running right back out, and it's like oh yeah, it's like what's he? It's like oh yeah, he's like. So he's like, oh, yeah, like he's getting like his back adjusted. He's getting like these like things. He's maybe like taking a piss yep. off stage or something like that <laughs> in between those things. It's like, oh, wow. And you don't really think about like your artists being the, like real people. You're like, no, this is their show. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, when you got to go, you got to go. Welcome to season six, episode 16 of the Better Band podcast, an all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Paloma. Each episode, a different guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, single, and B-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon, of course, because I say it in the beginning of every episode, but anyway... (laughs) I've gotten into the habit, so I'm continuing that. Today, talking about the song Crown of Thorns with guest Deb McMurtry. Hello. Hello, friend. How are you? I am doing well. How about you? Fantastic. I'm very All happy right. to be on on again, but on this song particularly. 
So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yes, the song was released as the fan club single in 2000, taking uh, the live track from their October 22nd show that year in Las Vegas, their 10th anniversary show, with Can't Help Falling in Love on the other side, also from that same show. Yes. Which we'll talk about in a future episode. There's actually quite a few um, singles, the Christmas singles, that um, are from shows I was at. So I think that's awesome. pretty fucking rad. And that one being one of them, the anniversary show. Hell yeah, I was there too. Have we talked about that? Did I already know that? That you were there too? You probably know that. Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You might remember me from the Live on Four Legs <laughs> episode uh, where we talked about that uh, anniversary show. Fantastic. So that's maybe where you heard me talking about it. We might have talked about it too because I knew you were there. I feel like maybe we did on one of our uh, one of our first episodes or whatever when we were like, oh, have we been to similar shows? And then Vegas is kind of yeah. like the halfway. It's like, oh, yeah, I was I at the Vegas. You headed south, oh, me headed I was north. was at the San Diego. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, blah, blah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyway, this song was originally uh, by Mother Love Bone, released on the EP Shine with Chloe Dancer as the introduction, kind of segueing into it, uh, just crown of thorns by itself was on the apple lp the only mother love bone album that came out like pretty much everybody in the band was writing on that i don't think i knew about the song until um until they released mother love bone in 1992 and i remember like getting that cd immediately and just devouring the entire thing and the um chloe crown of thorns part really was like the best thing on the album to me i even like i remember so vividly sitting down at the piano and teaching myself the chloe part which i can still play oh cool Mm -hmm. as a little 13 year old kid so (laughs) (laughs) on the live track uh brendan o'brien plays the piano for it and he he kind of plays the chloe dancer kind of introduction on it yeah for the anniversary show you mean yeah yeah, there is. It's like a very tiny little snippet intro. It's obviously not as extended, but I mean, it's so weird that they're usually labeled as two separate songs because to me, it's like you kind of can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. I always lump them together. Yeah, and it, it's at, the, at a certain point, Pearl Jam has started to do Chloe Dancer along with it, too, and where it's not just Crown of Thorns mm-hmm. all by itself. Well, you almost need it to lead up into it because, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as Crown starts and there's like that little tiny key change and it just goes in with the strumming pattern, it's like you need a little bit of that lead in of Chloe, I think. Yeah, it kind of adds to the whole story, I guess. Absolutely. Um, so um, I guess Andy Wood has said he said, or maybe it was Zena Lafuente, his, uh, they call her, her his muse slash fiance. This song is about her. He wrote it about her. Uh, kind of, we're breaking up. 
had uh, drama because of his drug use and stuff. Uh, she has said, uh, this song is about a relationship ruined by drugs. Hmm. He wrote it about our near breakup and how I tried to control him and the drugs, hence its allusion to being tied to the ceiling. You know, I always wondered what that part meant, actually. So that's very interesting insight. Like, just being high all the time, basically. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that. And I think just also, too, just kind of like, okay, I got to get you under control or something like that. So Mm -hmm. I'll tie you to the ceiling so you can't, you know, get away and all that sort of stuff. I don't know, though. With ceiling, you think so? Because it almost seems like... I don't know. It just seems like that's up. Like who would be tied to the ceiling? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not to be disagreeable, but oh, no, <laughs> I just no, was no. like, <laughs> I don't know. I never really thought about how like the ceiling is high and like if he's always high and this is a song about, you know, drugs ruining love, basically. No, oh, yeah. I mean, there's no, you know, right or wrong here. I mean, if we could talk to Andy Wood and, you know, then he could tell us if we're wrong or not. But get out the Ouija board. <laughs> let's find out. No, I don't either, actually. But it just sounded like the right thing to say. <laughs> it was interviewed a while, a while ago, of course, uh, probably two or three years into the band by uh, Cameron Crowe. He asked, he was asking yet if they're about Andy Wood and stuff like that. And he, uh, he said that there was a song that he would want to do one day and he didn't name the song and everything as part of like, if you watch Pearl Jam 20, there's kind of a little thing about that in there too. And you know, that goes like right into them actually playing the song and stuff. Um, right. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, with this, this song, I think I first heard it, it was either from that Mother Love Bone compilation thing too, or it was from Singles when I got that soundtrack. That's a good point, actually. When did that even come out? So it had been 92. Um, I'm looking it up right now. Just because... Yeah, 92. But when in 92? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me oh, that, uh, soundtrack. <laughs> okay, so you know what? I bet you that's the first place I heard it, too, was the single soundtrack. Because that was June 30th. And the Mother Love Bone came out September of 92. So you are absolutely correct. I bet you that is the first place that I heard it. And then decided to check out the whole Mother Love Bone record that was released later to get, you know, more of the backstory of the yeah. history and all that. I feel terrible. I forgot it was on that. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Uh, It was also, Cameron Crowe also used it in the movie Say Anything, but it wasn't on that soundtrack. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've seen that movie. I'm not a gigantic movie person, but. Oh, it's a, it's, it's very of its time. And if you probably saw it, like when you're younger. It's, it's the, the boombox. Boom box. Okay, yep, yeah. yep, yep. <laughs> I think I have seen it at some point, but I don't know that I would ever remember that that song was in it. Yeah, I, I think that if you watch it when you're younger, probably in your teen years, when you're closer to like when that came out, it might be a little bit more um, impactful mm-hmm. than when you're older and kind of like now, if you kind of like watch it and you think about it, it's kind of like, ah, you right. know. That is not how the world really works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that and sort of like, oh, there's all sorts of. <laughs> Sorry. What is that sound? Oh my gosh! Dishes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was like, are you okay? Is there an earthquake up there? <laughs> um, we were talking about. Oh yeah, about say, about saying anything. Yeah, it's like a bunch of red yes. flags, kind of like, uh, I don't know about that guy. Hmm. 
<laughs> so it's kind of like it's like oh that's that's definitely a bad teenage relationship like couple first relationships that you have that you kind of look back on and become like oh geez what the hell was i thinking what was i thinking yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> i've had several of those <laughs> maybe even not as a teenager <laughs> uh looking back at that's some okay. people everybody... i'm like oh my god i dodged a bullet thank you <laughs> everybody learns at their own pace yeah and I mean, honestly, speaking of, you know, dodging a bullet, meaning another person, I'm sure that I'm a bullet that somebody else has dodged, too, because oh, yeah. we can't oh, all yeah, be yeah, compatible. <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay to be the villain in somebody's story. That's fine. I'm sure yeah. I earned it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then I, 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 I could have dragged a couple of people down. <laughs> oh, yes, I definitely did. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> um... Let's see, are there any other sort of facts about this song before we start talking about it, really? Um, I did notice that they have played it 32 times live, which is way more than I was expecting. But mm-hmm. then when I looked at my own statistics, I've seen it five times. And I was oh, like, wow. oh, that's kind of cool. And it's kind of cool, too, because the Vegas 2001 is on PJ20. And then um, Madison Square Garden 2003, that's on the Live from the Garden DVD. And I'm like, hey, how's that both of those? Oh, you were? Cool. Yep. Yep. And I haven't seen it since 2009 in Universal City. But I was I was shocked at how high that count was for me. Yeah. Oh, I've just seen it the ones. Oh, just that 10th anniversary show? Is it? Yeah. I mean, that is the one, though. Oh, my God. Like, no, yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, let's talk about that for a bit because that's. <laughs> yes, please. Okay. I legit don't know if I can think of a more emotional moment at a Pearl Jam concert and I've been to a lot and there have been a lot of emotional moments but that was I don't even have words for it like that was brackets like we made up this thing years and years ago where when you don't have the language to say something like that's when you use brackets and we would use it in like text messages not even text messages Mm -hmm. there weren't text messages yet we were using it on AOL instant messenger (laughs) um (laughs) But, like, that was exactly what that moment was because, okay, so that was in 2000. So I had been listening to the song at that point for, like, eight years, you know. Um, And then, of course, just being crazy person me, I've Mm -hmm. dove into everything Pearl Jam, especially the backstory of where they came from and Mother Love Bone and Andy Wood's tragedy and all of that. And to be in that building when they started, when Brendan started those opening notes, my boyfriend at the time, who wasn't a huge Pearl Jam fan, he we loved concerts. He came with me, but like I lost my shit. I start mm-hmm. sobbing. I like turn to him. I'm like, "Do you even know what is happening right now?" And he was like, <laughs> um, "No." <laughs> and I like the whole room. It just was. It was a weird. I don't even know how to explain it. I would almost say it was like this weird oil and water mixture of like really heavy, but also really light because you you just felt that the intent of them playing it and the way that ed was singing it like you could tell that was like really paying his respects because i mean pearl jam is amazing we love them i'm so glad they exist but like that's got to be a really weighty thing for ed to kind of like no we only exist because this dude died Mm -hmm. like that kind of sucks and i personally would kind of feel pressure to make the band work for that reason you know but it just oh my gosh it just was one of the most beautiful moments because never in a million years did i ever expect to hear that song yeah like that wasn't even an option of what might pop up on these set lists 
it did feel like sort of a wink to sort of like everybody in the audience sort of kind of like you know he, he said uh it's like oh we're gonna try a song that's uh older than 10 years now i think when uh before they started playing it and um mm -hmm. it's kind of like the people who knew were just sort of yeah just dumbstruck just didn't know what to say it's like yeah i don't think like anybody knew that this was a possibility of even happening and we've had such a life's experience you know seeing things that we never thought we'd see and actually seeing a few things we never wanted to see but all in all it's uh the most interesting life i think that we've ever led previous to this but um uh i, I was Ending with uh, Matt Cameron, who again was in Soundgarden and made records for 10 years and never sucked. <laughs> it's been extremely important for him to be uh, part of the group. And uh, Mike McCready, who's been through stuff that no one would believe in order to be with us here today. And so this all leads up to the, the main point. And, and, you know, when you think of 10 years, it's like, really, it's, it's something, I guess in this day and age, uh, it, it means more. But, you know, the Ramones were around for 20, 2,300 shows, I know that. And there's very few bands that are still around that, that uh, are, are still relevant. Uh, and who knows, this might be it for us. But anyways, uh, Oh, I mean, we'll still write music. I just mean relevant. Uh, it's self-defeating. But um, the real thing here is uh, that, that these two guys, uh, Jeff and Stone, have been playing music together for 17 years. And I'd like to celebrate that tonight. opportunity to say that and um, we're gonna try uh, a song that they wrote together uh, before uh, before even me and Mike were around no never it was it was never like you there were no vegas odds on this song whatsoever <laughs> it's like oh what cover song are they going to pull up are they going to do something from the stones are they going to do some more elvis are they going to do something vegasy and so i mean i think that definitely hit everybody out of left field and i don't know if they i don't remember reading on five horizons or anything about if they sound checked it or if anything leaked if anybody at all knew that that was a possibility of getting played thankfully you know the internet was not as available as it is now so i'm glad that wouldn't yeah. have got ruined but they did sound check it i don't know if it was that day or something i know that uh in pearl jam 20 i don't know if it's like one of the bonus discs or it's like um part of pearl jam 20 because i haven't i haven't watched it uh super recently no, I but i know that either. there's like video of them on stage and like brandon o'brien is kind of like listening to it and like kind of playing the piano and you see kind of jeff there too mm. kind of like showing him how to play it or something like that so they they were oh 
I do recall that, but in an empty room, like in an empty venue, not in. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. So I I think it it probably was there just empty before, you know, they let people in and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it was a, you know, the showroom in there. I mean, it's probably real easy for them to kind of like play something there and not have people be able to hear it if they were were like lined up all day. Exactly, because it's not your standard venue where it's like, A, it's not outside, and so there's people that can hear it, but B, like there's so much of the casino and the hotel and everything around it that you're right. I think it would be a lot easier to to sneak in something like that there. That's a good point. Yeah, and so like, you know, and so like everybody in the whole casino can't hear it too, Mm -hmm. you know, it's pretty (laughs) loud, pretty (laughs) locked away and, you know, kind of, I don't know about soundproofed, but... You know, I'm pretty sure they don't want to bug people who are, you know, playing blackjack or on the slots or whatever. Right. I was, like, eh, was going to say, <laughs> I would imagine that it would almost have to be soundproofed or at least extremely, extremely dampened because mm-hmm. of it being in the middle of all kinds of other things going on. And I'm so glad that surprise like held out, though. Yeah, yeah. And then actually in um, 2003, excuse me, when they played it at uh, Madison Square Gardens on the second night, at the end of that performance, Ed said something about like how Andy would have really loved to play there. I think uh, Jeff and Stone would back me up. Andy would have loved it here, yeah. He's like, I think Jeff and Stone can back me up on this, but I think Andy would have loved it here or something like that. I mean, that, those were the stages Andy was built for. Yeah. So yeah. I might be biased too, but I, I like the way that Ed sings it better than Andy. As much as I love Andy, it's like, come on now, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that like he, I think Ed has gotten better at it because I think that like that first time kind of listening to it, he doesn't sound that confident, I think, in himself. I think he's just kind of yeah. like... He's just kind of more in his emotions in that one. Yeah, that could be it, too. Just kind of like nerves and kind of nervous. Right, and like stuff. I'm really doing this right now. This is scary because it's not my song. And, you know, it could have not been well received by the fans, you know, as to like, well, you can't do that, which is weird. I mean, us, us fans, you could you could you could sing the phone book, phone phone booth, phone book, and we're going to be happy. But no, yeah, totally. You know, it's still <laughs> that is a little nerve wracking. And what I did notice um, on the Live at the Garden DVD, um, he does seem to be straining a bit more on the higher end. So I don't know if they need to step it down a key or two. You know, to to fit his voice evolution, <laughs> to put it kindly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I can see what you're saying about it. But I almost feel like the 2003 one was not as good as the 2001. Well, yeah, that too. And plus, there's there's you know just a ton of energy them doing it the first time. Right. But I think you know is a lot of you can't help but you know, Mm -hmm. be, you know, blinded by the emotion and everything that's going on, all that energy and stuff like that, that you can kind of forgive if he, you know, it's like, ah, that note was kind of a little wobbly. He's like, oh, you know, it's like, uh, it's close enough. It's who cares? You know, it's, it's, it's still, this is happening, you know? Right. At that point, it's about, it's about the overall emotion of it rather than, you know, the technicality of the performance and the notes and shit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the event, not necessarily the product. Correct. That is very well said. I'm actually going to write that down because <laughs> that's applicable in real life. It's the event, not so much the product. It was it was the apple and not the shine. Oh, oh look at that! Bring it back, Mother Love Bone. Nice. Well played, sir. <laughs> 
Is there anything about the song itself that kind of grips you? Like when you first heard like the, the mother love bone uh, versions and stuff? Um, I definitely think that like, I mean, I love things that kind of ebb and flow and kind of sound like ocean waves, which I mean, a, a lot of songs do, but this one in particular, like the builds of it, you know, the, the song lyrics could be in a foreign language or not exist at all. And I think that the song would still be as moving as it is with the words. You know, sometimes you have songs that the the music really is the accompaniment to the poetry of the lyrics whereas mm-hmm. this this is oh and sometimes it's the other way around it's like the poetry of the lyrics just happens to have some weird shit behind it <laughs> i think that these two go really well together but the emotion of the song i think is captured musically which is kind of hard to do for some bands i think yeah but the ending where you know you kind of have the bridge breakdown that that always always has just gotten me right in the feels because it's it's emotional it's aggressive but not like angry i don't know if that even makes sense um but there's like an abrasion to it but it's still comfortable oh it Mm -hmm. just it gets me every time it's real weighty yeah yeah there's a lot of like texture in there in the guitars and oh i love it so i don't even know for how long but i didn't know all the lyrics you know (laughs) you we didn't have the internet in the 90s the way that we do now i mean we didn't have it for a long time in the 90s at all and so (laughs) you just kind of make shit up you Mm -hmm. sing the sounds that they're making and you don't know if they're real words or not and so for oh man for a long ass time i thought that it was missed a faded glory instead of mr faded like you know like fate like fate brought us together so if you missed a faded glory then it's kind of like one of those near miss stories or like you know fucking you meet the love of your life but the timing isn't right or the circumstance isn't right and so i semi-recently figured out that's not what the fuck they're saying (laughs) that's fun (laughs) that's a fun little part um well in the mother love bone cd they had the lyrics on it I was like too lazy for that. <laughs> I was way too lazy for that. No, actually, I used to pour over the, um, I used to pour over all the liner notes and everything like crazy. I mean, I would study the shit, but also I was in trouble all the time. And so my parents would like take my CDs away from me. Oh, so I got okay. smart and I took my CDs like out of their cases and just had them like stacked at the back of my sock drawer or something. So when they came in and took my CD tower, they weren't actually taking my music. Um, yeah, so it might have been one of those stretches where they had my stuff. So between that and the laziness, it's like, I don't know. I also like to go into things with as much of a clear slate as possible. Like, I don't know if you've heard me talk on um, some of the other podcasts or maybe I've even talked with you about um, going on blackout before I go to shows. Like, I yeah, stop yeah. listening to the music. I don't, like, listen 
to what anybody's saying. I stop reading posts. I don't follow set lists. Um, same thing with movies. I won't watch trailers. Like, I don't want to know. I want to go in and just let it be what it is and experience it the way I experience it. And so that just might have been one of those things where I, I thought I was right. So there was no reason to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then I remember I hadn't listened to the song in a really long time. And I think it might have even been at the Madison Square Garden 2000. I think it fucking was actually now I'm thinking about it because me and my friends, two Chris's and Kevin, my friends, um, we all went out to the MSG shows and little Chris. I don't even know what to call him because he has <laughs> own, his own nickname, but I'm not I, I'm not going to say that one. He, this kid was like my best friend. I love him so much. Oh, my God. From Connecticut. Anyways, the part where he gets to I used to treat you like a lady. Now you're a substitute teacher. Like I remember Chris like punching me in the arm because I was literally a substitute teacher then. And I was like, shut the fuck <laughs> up, man. <laughs> like, what's wrong with being a substitute teacher? I don't understand. <laughs> like, I'm just not there yet. It's not like I'm a dumbed down version of a real teacher. I don't know. But I well, just... no, it's because you know you can get away with stuff as a substitute teacher. They don't have the respect when they're coming. It's like, ah, they're not my real teacher. Uh, we can be jerks and all that is sort of that stuff. Is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, dude, that was never how I was received as a substitute teacher. Dude, I I had kids wanting their real teachers to retire so that I could be their <laughs> teacher. I had my finger on the pulse and, oh, yeah, no. Okay, that makes sense. And now that makes sense why I didn't understand it either, because that's not the type of sub I was. Was that the kind of student you were then either? <laughs> Who tried to get away um, with stuff when the real teacher wasn't there? Dude, I'm still the type of person. I'm the kind of fucking teacher that tries to get away <laughs> with stuff at this point. I mean, really. But I also, like, because I knew since third grade that I wanted to be a teacher, I always, like, really, like, made an effort to connect with my teachers and learn, like, how they did things and what worked for them and what I don't think would work for me. And I'd always like tell my high school teachers which subs to get because <laughs> I knew which ones were like nice and would just let me run the class, mm -hmm. which I did all the time. Now that we've dissected the substitute teacher part efficiently, man, I feel like I really <laughs> learned something today. This is awesome. <laughs> okay. Hey, are there any other lyrics you don't know that you want to clear it for you? I don't know. Let's review what I have on my printout. <laughs> Let's see. We already hit "Tie Me to the Ceiling." We already figured out "Mr. Faded Glory." Actually, what do you think that means, "Mr. Faded Glory"? Well, it's it's probably just like somebody who used to be a big shot and then kind of just like faded away. It's kind of like, oh, you know, got too into drugs, so he's not in a band anymore. Mm. Sort of like that, and you know, who rides so, the pony, horse, heroin? You know. Oh, 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 look at you, man! You're getting deep into it. I would have never caught that. <laughs> okay, so you're thinking it's somebody that had had the glory and now it's like fading away yeah okay see i think i'm still trying to like insert my like near miss moment and so it's almost like someone that never had the glory but was trying to but no i think you're right yeah i think it's i think this is probably kind of um autobiographical for andy kind of just like being worried that he's not gonna make it right you know with everything I wonder, because, you know, as a as a singer and a performer, even if you're singing somebody else's song, you have to have a connection to it. You have to have an emotion to it. So I always wonder, like, you know, because Ed never had, as far as I know, anyways, he never had those drug addiction issues as deeply as so many of our people have. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, like, what his 
what his headspace is or was when performing this or even thinking about doing it. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the the chorus. Maybe he just kind of said it's you know this is my kind of love. It's the kind of moves mm-hmm. on. Maybe it's kind of he's feeling like you know the love that other people have for the band, and you know it's kind of moving him through the career and everything like that, and just kind of like you know we're all here, we're all moving on. Mm-hmm. Let's ride this wave of love or something. You know, it's you know this this is the this is my kind of love, not the kind of love that. that i want you to idolize me or you know hold me up on a pedestal or something like that it's kind of like the the love that brings us all together and kind of moves us you know that's moving everybody through all this so then what do you think that it's the kind that leaves me alone means what the fuck is that shit (laughs) well maybe because it's kind of like you know because you leave me alone when uh <laughs> that's not fucking love i don't want to be but left no, no, alone i mean like you don't like try to drive your car into my house you know it's oh geez it's, seriously you know. yep yep that's true yeah so the stalking is the wrong kind of love exactly that's... yeah the fucking crazy person yes yeah. the kind that yes. leaves you alone will say okay i'm stepping back now so let me well, go then you know what go off and let's make no code or whatever and yes please Oh my God. Okay. Then that's totally me. Cause I remember like all of junior high and high school, everyone being like, you love Eddie Vedder. You want to have his babies. And I'm like, no, I love this music. I love his voice. I love these lyrics. Like I've never been a person that's like the super sexually attracted to the lead singers. Like I have never been that way. I've always seen, maybe this is mean to say, but I've always seen people that are like that as like cheap and slutty and like not the real fans. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Psh, you're just letting your hormones talk. You don't give a shit about this music. I give a shit about this music. <laughs> <laughs> well, ta- talent can be attractive in its own way for, you know, people and certain things and stuff like that. If you see, you know, if there's somebody who does something real good or something like that, it's kind of like, oh, wow, cool. Absolutely. There's like a certain confidence or something like that in there, right? Absolutely. But when everyone's like, oh, my God, they're so hot. I'm like, okay, first of all, nobody on this planet chose their looks unless, you know, you went to a surgeon. Then I guess maybe mm-hmm. you did. But like that, that is not what makes a person. There's a there's a line from um, The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera where he says, what we have not chosen, we cannot consider our merit nor our failure. And that's Ooh. how I, oh, I know, isn't that fucking, oh, that one is a... <laughs> That one is like a thorn right in the side of like, yes, but like, that's how I've kind of always looked at it. Like there's, there's so much, there's so much more to this band and, you know, Ed in particular, there's so much more to him than just how he aesthetically looks like, cool. You can find him. Maybe he's good looking. That's fine. I don't, whatever. But like, that's not how he should be defined. Like, have you listened to him? Have you read his words? Like, <laughs> I just, I see it as a completely different thing. So apparently it's the kind of love that leaves him alone. (laughs) So then I'm also wondering like, hmm, because Crown of Thorns is obviously a Jesus illusion. Reference, right? Like a biblical reference. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. So like a Crown of Thorns, it's all who you know, like, huh. And then so don't burn your bridges. So it's kind of like, oh, so don't be a Judas. Oh. Possibly. It's like kind of like you have all of these people around you and it's like, okay, this is my kind of love. But then there's, you know, somebody there who maybe he's kind of seeing as, you know, his, his, uh, fiance at the time or whatever, kind of like, you know, don't betray me, you know, let me have my drugs or try to help me. Like, I don't know. You know, maybe because I, if I remember correctly, she was really supportive of 
you know, their music Mm -hmm. and them wanting to be a band and touring. And, you know, if you're a successful band, there's a nice financial security that comes with that. And so I wonder if it's like, if you really want to support this life that, that we have the potential of having, even if it comes at a cost of, you know, my drug use or my self-destruction, like if you want this future, this is part of that future. I don't know. Let's just, can we please get out the Ouija board and ask Andy? (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm like, I really want to know. And it's not anything anybody can answer. Yeah, sure. I'm sure there's some virtual one that somebody's uh, put up now. And it's like, okay, everybody click your mouse on the corners. And (laughs) that would be so funny. (laughs) Or we can just hit up Jeff and Stone and be like, yo, what is this about? (laughs) Is there anything else about this song in particular or about the, uh, the Vegas show that... That uh, since since you weren't on the uh, the live on four legs, if the, if there's anything about the Vegas show that you want to remember from it, that well, okay, so they played it several songs into the first encore, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have it pulled up on my screen on live foot live footsteps at the moment, but I believe it was like three or four songs into that. Were the balloons before that? Was that in between yeah. the main set and then the first encore? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that was one of the most beautiful moments I've ever experienced also. I just thought that was like so fucking cool and, you know, the internet was still new enough and you still were not as connected to each other as you can be now that like for them to have planned that out and pulled it off and everyone up front with the balloons, I just thought it was so beautiful and the colors going everywhere and, you know, like I'd, I've always had my group of, of Pearl Jam fan friends. Um, and had even met people at shows along the years leading up to even in 2000, I had met a bunch of people, but I never really like saw the big picture community, yeah, yeah. which is easy to do now with, you know, the Facebook groups and the whatever, whatever. But that show in particular was really the first time I saw how this music can really pull the most random people who would have never probably crossed paths otherwise into the same moment for the same reason and they were all celebrating the same thing. And so that already like had me on the emotional edge. And then um, they came in, I want to say, with like two louder songs, two or three louder songs. Um, so we were kind of, I think it was two, two loud songs. Um, and then, you know, we were kind of amped up and the adrenaline was going. And so then it just was the perfect setup to then be like, and now we're going to break your heart and pull the tears out of your <laughs> eyes. <laughs> But to be able to experience that in a group of, you know, basically like-minded people. And and I don't recall even like, I remember when we got the, whatever they mail out about the um, the tour and whatnot, like there wasn't really a big point about that being the 10th anniversary show. No. And I remember, and I remember looking at which shows I was going to get tickets to. And I was like, dude, con, like this is that's 1022 like that's our anniversary like we have to go to that show I'm like holy shit wait a second it's the it's the decade anniversary yeah yeah how are they not like advertising this more and so i remember feeling like i was the only one that figured out this was gonna <laughs> be you know what i mean yeah. that's that's how isolated it kind of was back then even with you know the concert chronology and some chat rooms and whatnot but i i still am surprised that they weren't more forward about like what a monumental show that was and i i just think it was the perfect 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 place to pull out this song in particular and to just do the the gesture of respect Mm -hmm. i think that's that's kind of what i felt with that vegas performance was 
the gesture of respect in some place as flashy as Vegas, which I fucking love because that's so very mm-hmm. Andy. And then, you know, even at the end of the song, um, if you're watching it or even if you're listening to the bootleg, you can hear him. He's he's backed away from the mic a little bit, but you can hear him say Andy. And if you're watching it, like he just puts one of his hands like up to the sky and it's just like, oh, so fucking beautiful. Like people honoring and respecting other people in whatever the fuck capacity is one of my favorite things on the planet it's just so beautiful like that's pure beauty and love uh so let's wrap this up then seems like a pretty good uh uh ending point uh with with your your point there um Mm -hmm. so i'll ask you like eddie's asked at the end of single video theory uh what does pearl jam mean to you oh my gosh i've given this so much thought And I literally wrote down zero notes, which is (laughs) unlike me. No, but there's a very specific reason. Mm -hmm. Mainly because, again, it kind of goes back to those brackets. Like, it's not necessarily something that... You can say, but you just feel. Yeah, that I can put into words. But just like, I have said my whole life that Pearl Jam and Tori Amos raised me. Like, Mm -hmm. I was... I was barely 13 years old the first time I heard Pearl Jam and them especially like I just dove into everything this whole new genre of music for me and then this whole Seattle scene and like all of their histories and learning that Ed was from San Diego which is you know not that far from me in a place that I have I had already already had a special connection to even as a 13 year old mm-hmm. like ugh, that's one of my beacons there's beacons on the planet that pull me to places and San Diego is definitely one of them. But, you know, having previously been married to somebody that would always say they're just songs like, no, they're fucking not like mm-hmm. like they Pearl Jam is so foundational. Like I am convinced it's like somewhere ingrained in my DNA that like science isn't able to figure out at the moment. But it's in there with just the art that I ended up liking, the books I ended up liking, the friends I ended up making, the places that I've traveled to to see them or to see people that I've met from them and the song lyrics and the philosophies. And like it is every fucking fiber of my being is interwoven with something Pearl Jam. They're such a rich part of my history. I mean, I have posters and woodblock arts and like photographs and set lists. Like I have shit hanging all over this room I'm in right now. Like it's just such it's such a part of who I am. Had I never gotten into them or heard them the first time, especially, I think that this version of me would be absolutely unrecognizable from whatever non-Pearl Jam version of me would have existed at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just everything. They have they are like the food coloring in the glass of water that has literally changed every molecule of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't change it for the fucking world. Awesome. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. It's always uh, it's always a good talking with you. I love it. Anytime. Just let me know. Okay. Well, then uh, let's let's have you back to talk uh, about a Riot Act song then. Yes, please. I would <laughs> love that. Can we maybe do All or None? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> That's some good acting we did there. <laughs> We're sly dogs. <laughs> the Better Band Podcast is produced by listenupreno.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Share Like 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. 
All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Better Band Pod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you'd like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip. Or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the upcoming season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Deb and as always, this is Brandon saying, let the bears pay the bear tax, I pay the homer tax. Homer tax.